I, I know we, we just had this prayer of lament. It's heavy. Let's all take a deep breath. I'm going to start with humor, okay? So we're going to be good. Uh, and we're going to talk, we're going to speak out of James 3 today. And I encourage you to find it, follow along. We'll take some of the past, the verses two by two, just like Noah and the ark. So we'll find James 3, 1 through 12. And, and we're going to discover that words have power. James is going to talk about the tongue and what comes out of your mouth and the power that has, not just over others, but over you and the control that we need to have. And there are ways that we use words that can be just downright hilarious and funny. Uh, I follow a couple of, uh, I'm not a huge Twitter user, but I, I've enjoyed it uh, from time to time. And I follow a couple of joke Twitter feeds. One of them is Bad Church Secretary, which is just, just funny. And my favorite one of hers will pop up here. It says, typos drive me crazy." Some of you got it. Words can do a lot. We can have fun with words. More, more, probably my favorite one of all of them is from the unappreciated pastor. That's his, his Twitter handle is at Rev No Respect. It says, uh, and I have to look at this one, it's easier. When they said the last pastor was a fisher of men, I probably shouldn't have said he caught a lot of big mouth bass. Words can have a lot of power in our lives. We can enjoy them. We can use them to build others up, to, to encourage others, and we can use them to completely destroy somebody. They have so much power coming out of our mouth. I was struck, and I've been struck for many years, by uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was, uh, lived in the 1700s. In fact, his, his life nearly parallels Benjamin Franklin, and they were on completely different paths in life as far as what they believed. Jonathan Edwards, a colonial American pastor and theologian, brilliant. He had these resolutions he would go through each week. He talks about the power of words, particularly in a couple of them. And he was resolved to read through them every week, so he would live them. Uh, Resolutions 14 and 16, he says, resolved never to do anything out of revenge. And number 16, resolved never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor. Words have power, don't they? Tremendous power. Standing behind what we're going to read today in James 3, I want to re-emphasize our key passage as we've been going through this sermon series, Mercy Triumphs, James 2, 12 and 13. I'll read them for you. James tells us, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. He tells us how we're supposed to speak. He tells us what's supposed to be inside of us. Mercy. And we only receive that through Jesus Christ. Through that grace that's given to us by God. Through his son. That mercy. Because we didn't deserve it. That's what needs to be inside of us. And that's what needs to come out of us. James is going to tell us. Because sin makes us sick. And sin will tend us, yeah, we have the capacity to bless, but James says we also have the capacity to curse others. And sin tends us towards one of those more than the other. We need to be cured of that. We need to let mercy triumph in our lives. So James will talk about this great potential that we have and the control that we need over our tongue. Let's read the first two verses then of James 3. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's pointing out for us, we are probably not perfect here, but that's the ideal. 
That's the direction that we're going to be remade through Jesus Christ. Not many of you should be teachers. James is actually being subtle here, even though it doesn't seem like it. He's going to take us down a different track, but he starts with teachers. And if you read this and you're a teacher, you might think, why do, why do I do this? Why do I want to do this? Not many of you should be teachers, brothers and sisters. Oh boy, James. I've discovered now that, that I've been preaching virtually every week for the past three years. Um, and in the last two churches, I didn't preach nearly as much, but I still preached a bit and got the experience. But when I first started preaching, especially here, I knew we had some pastors in the house on a regular basis. In one case, the pastor of pastors, the preacher of preachers, was here. And so I was nervous, but I've come to discover that they are usually not your critics. They are usually your encouragers. They've been there. They understand the weight that goes with the task. That there's, some, there's a level of authority that's there, but, but with that, there's this level of responsibility, and it takes a lot out of you to deliver that, and it takes a lot from you. Teachers understand this too. There's a lot required of you to teach, to impart that knowledge on somebody else. Honestly, the, the people who I've discovered are the critics who wish they were up here doing what you're doing, who wish they were in the teaching position thinking they know it, who wish they went to seminary or whatever it is. They're the ones who are the critics. Those who have done it understand there's a weight to this. James says, not many of you in the assembly should wish that you were up there. There's a lot that goes into that. But he's being subtle, right? It sounds like he's just talking to teachers. He has a lot more to say. And, and we can understand the weight of this, right? Somebody who teaches but yet doesn't like, follow what they preach. I, I remember reading in, in a youth ministry book years ago by Duffy Robbins. Great name, by the way. He, he uh, wrote in there, he had gone through premarital counseling, uh, he and his wife, and went through the whole thing, got married by the same pastor who did the premarital counseling, who announced a couple weeks later he's getting divorced from his wife. And all of a sudden that shakes them. Well, wait a minute. What about this foundational teaching you just gave us? What does that mean for us? And you can, you can extrapolate this and find all kinds of other examples. The teacher who stands before people and talks about plagiarism, and then you discover that one of his books is plagiarized, or something like that, right? Not many of you should teach. There's a lot of responsibility, a lot that goes in, and the stakes are really high as it turns out. But James goes on because he says, really, this has everything to do with what comes out of your mouth, the tongue. He's going to get us far less subtle as he goes on, just so you know. So be prepared when we get there. Let's go to verses three and four. James says, when you put, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. He's using simple, common examples that would have been very understandable in that day and age. I personally am not one who's done much sailing. I tried it a couple weeks ago at family camp, and I can see the person who made me do it is laughing right up here. He said, you've got to try this before you leave. I had not experienced the power that's in a sail even on a small boat. And I got hit in the head many times by the sail as it goes back and forth, as I'm trying to balance going back and forth in the boat. You've got to do the rudder and the sail. It's multitasking to the max here, right, as you go. And there's a lot of power trying the whole time. My only goal was not to flip the boat. And what happens after 10 minutes? Finally, the tipping point comes. And I went over, and all of you who watched it probably enjoyed it very much. There's a lot of power steered by a tiny little rudder. There's, there's a lot of power in a horse just controlled by a little bit in the mouth. James says, make sure that your mouth is under control. You need control or else. And he's going to tell us what the or else is at this point. Let's go on to five and six because now 
The subtlety is going away. James says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You see how the subtlety left us at that point. James is very blunt all of a sudden. There's an interesting word there in, chapter, in verse 5. In the Greek, the same word is used for uh, a great and a small, which fascinated me this week. It's helikos, just uh, FYI for those of you that want to know. It's a word of magnitude. It goes in the direction of the sentence, basically, and what's intended. It can be great or it can be small. The spark that falls into the forest can turn into, it's very small, but it can turn into something great. I've been around forest fires, terrifying. Terrifying amount of power that can come out of such a small little spark. There is power in your words, James says. And it can have power over other people. But now, as I said, the subtlety leaves us because it says he says it can have power over you too. That's what he's getting at. What comes out of your mouth he says, can have great power. He uses the word hell there, which is Gehenna. And let's talk about that for just a moment and what that means as far as a concept. Gehenna refers to the Valley of Hinnom. It's a part of, you can find it even today, uh, near the old city of Jerusalem. It's a little valley that's there. I've driven by it. And uh, it was, if you go back to the days of the kings in the Old Testament, in the days of the divided kingdom, some of the kings went down to the valley of Hinnom to worship Molech, another god, even to the point of sacrificing children down there. An abomination. Awful. By the time of the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the valley of Hinnom becomes the trash dump. It's the place where they take trash and they burn it. And so it's constantly kind of smoldering down there and on fire. You can catch the imagery of hell right there, can't you? This is not a place you want to spend a lot of time. It's smelly, it's stinky, it's burning. And it eventually also becomes a place where the bodies of executed criminals are also placed to be burned with the trash. This is not a pretty place anymore, down in the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus uses that very term, Gehenna, referring to that spot as the conceptual way to talk about what happens to those who are wicked, who are unrepentant. Gehenna is your ultimate destination. That's where you go. And James then, in his lack of subtlety at this point, he says, if you want to understand where the words that are, he'll talk about cursing in a moment, the words that would cut someone down come from, I can tell you, they don't come from God, he says. They come from the other direction. And if you want to know where those words will take you, he says, the exact same direction. They won't bring you any closer to God. They'll take you right to the pit where we throw all the trash, where it burns up. It's a bad end. James says those words come straight out of hell. I'm going to come back to verses 7 and 8 in a moment. I want to read verses 9 through 12 as we continue on here. And as a, as a whole package here. James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring 
produce fresh water. I'm going to get political for a moment, but not really, so don't worry. Every year, every year we get to the, the primaries for our president, or every time we do, not every year, every time we get to the primaries for our presidential election, there's always a call for civility, isn't there? Somebody will say, let's keep this civil. Let's, let's keep this above board. Every time, somebody or multiple people will call for that. And it can happen in multiple levels of government, of course. Let's keep it civil. And people can try real hard, and it seems like those who try and keep it civil don't succeed quite as well, unfortunately. That's not to our credit, by the way. And then when somebody drops it down, right, they start with the insults, the one-liners, they keep going down. It's almost impossible to bring it back up, isn't it? Our words have power, and once we go in the downward direction, it's really hard to come back up. James says, don't do it, brothers and sisters. Stay above. Bless. Bless one another. And what I would suggest to you that James is saying by this point, by verses 9 through 12, is be consistent. Be consistent in your speech and your conduct. That's how what's going to come out of your mouth is going to make sense and be a blessing to someone, is if what's inside, just like Jesus talked about in, in Matthew 15, just like what's inside needs to be right, so that what's outside will be right. Be consistent in that. He says, you don't plant a fig tree and expect grapes or olives you don't go to a spring that's salty and expect fresh water from it no be consistent and he talks about blessing and cursing blessing simply put is to speak well of someone to act kindly towards someone or to impart benefit to someone you encourage someone that's a blessing you did a great job you blessed someone that's it's as simple as that James says bless because what's the opposite? It's a curse. That's to speak ill of someone. That's to wish bad towards them. That's to wish evil towards them. It's to wish their demise or their failure and then to act accordingly if you really want to curse. James says don't do that. Bless. And in order to do that, in order to achieve that, we need a level of discipline in our own lives so that what comes out of our mouth is going to be a blessing rather than a curse or anything in between. Covenant Pastor Craig Rochelle, he says, stay disciplined. This is just a general word, but it's good for this. He says, stay disciplined. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. And if we're going to bless others consistently, we need to consistently practice what's going to produce that in our lives. At issue behind this, a couple of things. One issue is hypocrisy, right? You might praise God with your mouth while we're in the assembly and then you go out and you say something bad or even in a matter of moments you could say something towards someone else or do something that doesn't bless them but does the opposite he says how can this be how can this be that you could bless and then curse out of the same mouth it's hypocrisy at that point and I got to tell you I have not met a person in the world who wants to be called a hypocrite nobody says I want to grow up to be a hypocrite it's never a compliment But there's a deeper issue here that James gets at, and he gets at it down in verse 9. James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who what? Who have been made in God's likeness. There's a big, giant problem that he, he flags for us. You see, honoring God and then dishonoring God with the same mouth is what we end up doing when we dishonor another person in that way, when we insult, when we curse, when we use our words and, and when he talks about basically going to the fires of hell, we can ask, why is it that the fire of your words can send you that direction? He gives us the clue right there in big letters. 
Let's talk, though. Let's talk about ancient temples first, and then we'll get an idea. In the ancient world, the world of the Old Testament, but not specifically the Old Testament. Let's talk broadly, that world. If you built a temple, the last thing you do in the temple is you put in the image of the idol of the god. That represents that the god is now here. And to do something to that image or that idol is to do something directly to that god, is to dishonor, to steal, to do whatever you would do. So we can read in the Old Testament then, many other places, but Isaiah 66, 1, and part of 2, it says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God's furniture is big, we should point out. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build for me? Where will my resting place be? He's talking about the temple, but when God built, when God put together and created, I mean, so big is the universe. Essentially, in God's temple, what is the last thing he does? At the end of creation, he sets in his very image. We've been made in his likeness. And to dishonor God's image is to dishonor God. It's like insulting one of the members of your family. If somebody else does it, that's not okay. You can say something about your uncle, right? But nobody else can. To dishonor the image of God is to dishonor God himself. It's to attack God. We need to be consistent in speech and conduct. We're made in the image of God. God loves us. We don't want to dishonor that image. But even so, if we're consistent in speech and conduct, we can't leave it there because you've got to fill it with the right stuff. You've got to fill your conduct with the right stuff in order that your speech would be honoring to God. So we need to be a spring of fresh water. We need to be like a tree that produces what it was planted to produce. We need to be like a fire that you can warm yourself at, not that's going to destroy your community, that you can cook s'mores over, for goodness sakes. Do something fun with it. Something that will bless others. To be a blessing and not a curse. I preached over the last year about the Sermon on the Mount. I preached it in three separate sermon series. And then I came across a line from Dallas Willard where he did in one sentence what I tried to do in three sermon series. Thank you, Dallas Willard. That's brilliant. He says, I memorize and meditate on Scripture that the order of God's kingdom would be the order and power of my mind and life. You've got to fill yourself with the right stuff if the right stuff is going to come out. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 15. I memorize and meditate on scripture that the order of God's kingdom would be the order and power of my mind and life. So brothers and sisters, we need to be right with God if we're going to be a blessing to others. And if you are right with God, then you can be a blessing to others. Yes, we have the capacity. We have that God-given capacity. But the more we draw close to the one who is a blessing to us, the more we will be able to be a blessing to others. And I would suggest to you what I've suggested to you before as one of those ways to fill yourself is praise. Praise. Back in verses 7 and 8, James flags for us sort of the helplessness of our own situation. He says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's incredible isn't it? We can tame our dogs, but we can't tame our own tongue. That's what he says. We have no capacity to really accomplish that. No, it's really only when we draw close to the one who blessed us. And we've got to do that through things like praise. Praise provides perspective. Praise is a teacher to us. 
Praise teaches us who God is, what God desires, who I am. Because it has everything to do with who I am in relation to God, not simply who I am independent of God. There is no who I am independent of God. Praise asks of me, then, am I representing? Am I looking like the image of the one who created me, who called me to be his own? And praise, as we've talked about, is as simple as, God, you are good. I just praised. God, you are love. I just praised. And then we followed up with something like, how can I be love like you are love? God, you are holy. I praised. Now the question is, how can I draw near to that holiness? How can I be more like you? God, you are father. There's some praise. How can I love your children? As simple as that. It tells us so much. It, it builds in us so much and allows us to bless by simply praising God. Do I reflect the image of the one who made me? We will all, I guarantee, we will all in this life be tempted to say something we ought not say to another person. I've been tempted. I know you have too. You can't tell me differently. We will all be tempted to be uncontrolled, ill-tempered in one way or another, unmetered in our remarks, unkind. Some of us will even venture into the territory of being a jerk. Let me give you a couple thoughts as we close this out, and then I'll give us a, a little story of blessing. First of all, the Snickers has this right, by the way, to control your circumstances. Ask yourself the question, if, if, if you, are, you know your circumstances to know if you're in a position where you are ever going to say something to somebody that is not right. Am I tired? Am I hungry? Have I been hurt? Have I been wounded? You watch the Snickers commercial, right? And what do they have? Uh, somebody has portrayed as another actor. You're not yourself if you're hungry, right? You're hangry. Great term. We all know that we can say the wrong thing under the wrong circumstances. We have to know ourselves well enough to know, am I going to venture into this territory? If you are, step back. Don't even go there. Control your tongue, James says, but control where you are, first of all, and what's going on. Understand as well what could happen if you say words that are in your head that maybe shouldn't come out. Is this going to be repairable damage or irreparable? Am I willing to walk down that road? Am I going to hurt somebody with what I say? Think about the other person. And I would add this, and I think this is implied in James' text. He was probably also uh, thinking of social media in his text in James. I would suggest to you this, uh, because this has been a big issue recently for a whole lot of people. If you're going to type it, would I say it out loud? If you're going to type it, would I say this if such and so were in the room? Which incidentally is the same rule I would use for gossip if I'm talking about a person. Is this something they would like me to say or not? I've personally met a number of people in life who have no filter from here to here. Um, and so what they think is what they say. And sometimes what they say just isn't good. And social media, of course, has been an amplified outlet for that. Wouldn't it be better, though? Here's the question, going back to what James says in verse 2. Wouldn't it be better if you didn't need a filter? Not because we were so free to say whatever it was that came into our mind, but because we had drawn so near to the one who is holy. 
that we had been formed and reformed and shaped and renovated in such a way that we wouldn't even think a curse. That we wouldn't even think something that would come out of us that would do anything but bless another person. Sounds lofty, right? That's what James says is actually the goal. He says, be merciful. He says, none of us are perfect, but that's the direction we're supposed to head towards. There's another direction he talks about. He says, go the other way. Flee from that direction. Wouldn't it be great if what came out of your mouth was simply blessing? James tells us, speak blessing, never curse. He tells us, in all your interactions, be mercy. Now, let me give you a story. Some of you have probably heard it. It's going around on social media. I was struck by this, especially we've already talked about the events of this week and beyond. This was on Facebook uh, by um, an African-American woman. This is an example of blessing. She says, So this morning I went into a convenience store to get a protein bar. As I walked through the door, I noticed that there were two white police officers, one about my age, the other several years older, talking to the clerk, an older white woman behind the counter, about the shootings that have gone on in the past few days. They all looked at me and fell silent. I went about my business to get what I was looking for. As I turned back up the aisle to go pay, the oldest officer was standing at the top of the aisle watching me. As I got closer, he asked me how I was doing. I replied, okay, and you? He looked at me with a strange look and asked me, how are you really doing? I looked at him and said, I'm tired. His reply was, me too. Then he said, I guess it's not easy being either of us right now, is it? I said, no, it's not. Then he hugged me and I cried. I had never seen that man before in my life. I have no idea why he was moved to talk to me. What I do know is that he and I shared a moment this morning that was absolutely beautiful. No judgments, justifications, just two people sharing a moment. That's blessing. Wouldn't it be great if that's the only thing that came out of us? Brothers and sisters, that's the goal. Let's be a blessing. And let's pray. God, you are Father. You are good. You are love. You are in control and sovereign over everything. No nation, no ruler stands above you. You are above all. You control all. You see all. And you know us. God, help us root out those things that would draw us away from your presence, not simply those things that would hurt other people, that would push other people away from us, but that would hurt you and dishonor you, that would put us on the outs with our fellow believers, with our co-workers, with our friends, but also that would put us on the outs with you. God, draw us into your presence, that what would come out of our mouths would be the content of what's in our hearts, and that what's in our hearts would be mercy, would be love, would be blessing, would be found in your holiness. God, we pray this all in your name, the name of the one who gave us mercy and loved us so much. Amen.